Yeah, I'm looking forward to things starting to get back to normal at this point. I mean, all I want to do is go to the movies. But I don't want to go if there's only, like, five I want to go in, like, a packed movie theater. No, see, I don't really care about packed or not. I like the movie theater experience, but I really don't care about anybody except for the people I go with. Yeah, it's, I, want, I want that experience. Hey, there he is. There I am. What's happening, Al? Not much. How you doing, Paul? Good, thanks. Long time no talk. Yeah, it's been a while. Like I said Hi, last uh, night. Hey, Chris, Chris, how you doing? <sighs> yeah, like I said before, I, it was funny. I listened to an episode yesterday, and I was just like, ah, oh, it's been a while since I talked to any of them. And the next day, <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, what do you know? And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. You know, we just watched, uh, you know, I remember people talking about it when it was out, and for some reason I never saw it, and then we binged, there's only 18 episodes of it. But we binged the the, the se- one season they recorded of uh, Freaks and Geeks. I've never seen an episode. Very entertaining. I've seen most of that, I think. Maybe all of it. I forget. I was I was surprised how much we enjoyed it. I mean, it's a lot of it's uh, Seth Rogen, James Franco, Linda Cardellini. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't even think of what his name is. The guy from How I Met Your Mother. Uh... Oh, yeah, the tall one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Marshall from How I Met Your Mother. Uh, yeah. I forget what his is real it, name is. Jason Busy Phillips. Jason Siegel. Yes, Busy Phillips. Very entertaining, really. You know, it's it's a, it's an hour long show, and I guess it's you know one of these dramedies, but it plays more like a sitcom than it does, you know, than it does serious. And more often than not, when you make those an hour long. They, they're not that entertaining, but I thought this was really good. It's like looking back on it, I, I, I regret that they didn't do more of them. I think a lot of people feel that way. I've still never seen a season, uh, an episode of it. <clears throat> well, it's on Hulu. If you get that, I'd recommend it. I get everything, but that's me. That's why I don't watch sports anymore either. I could care less now at this stage of my life. <sighs> and I've never been happier. I do watch baseball. <laughs> I would love to still watch baseball, but it's Actually, like... Actually, I watch football and hockey, too. Who am I kidding? I, I, and I used to love watching hockey, and it's just like... Baseball, it's like, I don't know what they can do to still be relevant and survive. Because I, I, growing up, I watched baseball every night during the season. I'd watch the Sox, I'd watch whatever game, you know, whatever was on, it didn't matter. But it's like, I can't... A regular season game... An American League regular season game being four hours, I don't have time for that. I just don't. That's too much. You know? It's too much. 
Yeah, <sighs> I, I can understand. But it's, uh, you know, long, long as I can, long as Tina will put up with my watching it, and she does. <laughs> That's really all that counts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at some point we'll get to. Do we need to watch this tonight? Come on, they're yeah. already lose, they're already losing by a run. There's no way they're gonna come back. <laughs> Let's put on something else. Come, come back in an hour. See if they're surprised you. Yeah. It, it, it was it was always nice though in the fall when you'd have all four major sports going in Boston at the same time for just that brief little window, you know. Mm. That was always nice. But, yeah, well, you get that like from October, right? Yeah, I think, I I think bas- no basketball starts before hockey, right? Uh, yes. Basketball is yes, the one I don't follow. I used to follow that. I used to follow everything. How could I? I was a kid from the suburbs of Boston. You had to. Now you're getting old. I'm getting getting old, and I I just, I'd rather spend time with the things that I, I'd rather rewatch something I really like or look into something that somebody's recommended to me at this point. Yeah. I don't watch anything on regular TV. I mean, we get cable because it's part of the HOA, like what we pay for, we get it anyway, but we don't watch it ever. Yeah. It's It's just there because it's there. If they got rid of it, we'd be fine. I watch sports, and I watch Jeopardy on my cable. That's a, that's really it as far as cable goes. But then there's a lot of streaming channels that I watch that I don't pay for because I have the cable subscription and you get access to them, like mm-hmm. like HBO Max. I get that because I have HBO on my cable package. Yeah. Yep. We have pretty much all of them. Is there anything that you're like desperate to watch on cable? Cable that's not going to be on Netflix or Hulu because we had both of those for a while. Like we couldn't think of anything. It's like I'm not going to be watching live sports. So that's sports is probably the biggest reason why I still have cable. It's really a, one of the reasons why people still have like one of the only reasons, you know. And I, I, I was going to say is I don't know all of the which ones exactly. I haven't looked into it, but I know a lot of times on like different like social media things, they'll be what they'll have a thing where it's like watch this game now here on Twitter or Facebook. So. It's getting more of a, you have a chance if you look into it, you might be able to get out of, you know, might be able to watch whatever sport things you want to watch online. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's not on your TV, you know, that's a difference, but it depends how you're watching it. Well, the, the two local teams, even though I am a Met fan and a Yankee hater, I do watch both. If the Mets aren't on, I'll watch the Yankees. I just root for whoever they're playing. Yeah. Uh, but th- those are the two baseball channels that I feel like I have to get. And they do both have, I just discovered, they both have, uh, you, you know, apps that you could stream them with a uh, smart TV. Oh. Now, I don't pay for either of them because I get them through the cable package and I sign in through my cable provider. Uh, which is, I mean, it works out to be great because then I take a, a TV out into the backyard and I sit and I watch the ball game and, you know, relaxing in the yard. Huh. But But that does open the window now. At some point, if I decide, you know what, I don't want to pay for cable anymore, I know I can still get access to those two channels. Yeah, and the nice yep. thing about all the apps is they're all, I mean, pretty much everything's monthly, unless you're doing like a year for Amazon Prime, which usually works that way. But otherwise, it's like, you know what, I've watched other stuff on HBO Max. I'm not going to have time to watch anything on that this month, next two months. I'm going to cancel it. I'll come back in two months. It's going to be there anyway. Yep. <clears throat> the, the other thing, though, I found was that when I talked about the possibility of canceling cable – They've, you know, the cable company has wised up. They don't yeah. charge you nearly as much for the cable content now as they do for the internet service. Yeah. 
So if you cancel, you know, you cancel the, the, the programming, but you're still paying through the nose for the cable, for the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I pay a hundred and I pay like $105 a month for like the best internet that I can get where I live. And it's like, that's plenty. I mean, a, a Comcast bill would be like 330 bucks. I'm like, no, not doing it. I'm cheap. Yeah, I mean, if if I canceled cable, but then I had to pay for monthly subscriptions to the channels that I want to have, anyway, it becomes I'd be, similar, pay, I'd yeah. be paying about, the, I'd be paying close to what I'm paying now anyway. Yeah, yeah, but like I said, you're not binging everything every, anyway. So I figure, if, I mean, if we had to only get what we were paying for and not splitting it, we would have like one or two we would keep, and like a one that we would just rotate every month or two. It's like, all right, I'm done. You know what? I've caught up on all the Marvel stuff on Disney. I'm going to cancel that now and. I'll come back to that in six months. Well, Disney, I did before, you know, before they made it available, I subscribed for the three-year thing. Oh, so you got it It worked out, I think, with, at, if you were willing to commit to three years, I think it only worked out to like $6 a month. I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is anyway. It was, well, whatever it was, it was cheaper, yeah. than, it was cheaper than if I did it but, you know, on a monthly basis. Well, there is that, of course, option too. But yeah, the thing is, like, the, you can these are things you can cancel and restart easily enough without having to care. So, my thing is like, hey, if I don't have time to watch these things and if I was paying them all, I'll come back to you next month. When, when COVID first, you know, the COVID quarantine first hit, I did the free sixty days of CBS All Access. Mm, yeah, and I then I too. and then I paid for one month of it, and then I canceled. <laughs> but it took them four months to put through the cancellations. So I ended up oh. paying for one month and getting seven months. Oh, you know, I cool. didn't pay attention if I got that. I, I only got it to watch Picard anyway. Yeah, that's right. And, I... and I'm going to only get it again once season two is over and done with, and then I'll binge it all and then cancel it. I don't think I'll be going going back to Picard. I think I'm good. I think it was, eh. Oh, there you go. Well, then, yeah, then yeah, don't spend the money you know. on it. <laughs> And I, I hate Discovery. I hate it. I've tried to watch the first. I, I really liked the. I really liked the first season, but then after that, it kind of lost its pizzazz for me. Well, it's just. I mean, who's who's running it? Kurtzman. Is I'm that who's sure. running it? I'm not sure. Well, whoever whoever's running it. I mean, he's quoted an interview saying that Star Trek we're going to use as a platform for what we want to say it's like well that's not star trek so i think i'm good you you can keep wasting paramount's money and so, it would, and, actually yeah, and, i i really really did not like the first episode of lower decks but as the season went on i warmed up to it more and more there's some chuckles there but it's like again i watched a couple episodes of it and i haven't felt the need to finish watching it you know by, by the end i got a big kick out of it they had Riker in an episode uh, I oh, thought it was fun. Is that well, the animated one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like it, you know, it's. I, I mean, I get why the I get why you do something like that. It's irreverent and it's poking fun at Star Trek, and that's fine. But it's like everything that they're doing right now is just pushing me further and further away from it, and I hate that because even Star Trek at its worst is something that I would still watch. You know, so I think between the, the remake of Wrath of Khan and what they've done on the, the newer TV shows, I'm like, well, did you did you watch uh, Star Trek Beyond? I did. It was all right. Yeah, I thought it was entertaining. I liked it. It's better, it's better than the second one. Oh, yeah. No question.
And again, it's just I feel so bad for these actors because I like all of them in the roles. It's just give them something better to work with. No, you know, I thought it, I thought in Beyond they did, but you know, but but I think it was uh, too little, too late. I think so too. Was but, Beyond the one where they're on that planet that didn't have con- starts off that planet didn't have contact and then being chased by the natives? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And like that was that was fun. The beginning of that was fun, and then it's just like, oh, okay, we're going. No, wait, to wait no, no, actually, no. That that was yeah. uh, that was into darkness started with the natives chasing. Oh, that was. They all, the, in, at the beginning of Beyond, he's just at some little... sort of he's at a ceremony, and he's giving this thing, this token of peace to these things, and mm-hmm. and they they all start to attack him, and you okay, think that yeah. they're full sized like lion creatures, and it turns out and that they're, they're like you know, this big. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun too. I could I could see Shatner pulled off something like that, you know. But uh, yeah, eh, it's just I don't know. <laughs> I've got right. I've got fifty years of Star Trek to watch, so I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you got enough to watch then. If you're not enjoying it, go watch the stuff you like. Yeah, I did. I, 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 did I did recently. I was like, I'm gonna watch. I watched what the the one where the uh, the drumhead, which is a great episode, very apropos. Of all times, you know, just make up your own mind after you watch it, <laughs> you know, how you feel about things. And the one where uh, Wesley and the cadets get the other kid killed doing the, oh, yeah. the maneuver. Like, that's a good one, too. That's like, and I'm not a big Picard guy because I like the action guys, but he's so great in that. <laughs> that oh, no, I did see that one. He just dresses down Wesley like, you're an adult now, bitch. Like... You're gonna listen to me. So good. We should talk some uh, comics because, yes, yes. you know, I, I I'm old and I get tired after a while. I'm old and I get tired. I gotta talk some comics. Get off yeah. my podcast. Dude. Talk about some. Daniel Cody, get books. off my lawn. All right, let me kill my video. Save bandwidth. Yeah, I'll do the same. Sure. There we go. <clears throat> I was just Hello, skimming through the what? issues anyway. I was going to oh. go to it. What? What were you doing? What? Huh? Hey! <laughs> Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and this time out I am joined by Mr. Chris Tyler. I am the best there is at what I do, though what I do isn't very smart. <laughs> and Mr. Al Sedano. Trust me, I'm a senator. <laughs> How you guys doing? Doing all right, Paul. Scott and Bill were not available tonight, so I put out the call, and uh, and this is what I got. Oh, jeez. So am I playing the role of Scott or Bill? Uh, you're thinner than I am, so you can be Scott. Okay. Or you could do an amalgam. You could be a Ooh, little, a little of each. Scott Bill. Bill Scott. Skibill. You could be bot. Bot. <laughs> or skill. Ooh, skill I'm, bot. I'm definitely not skill. I don't have any of those. Uh, eh, sure, I'll be skill. Why not? Anyway, <laughs> so we are still COVID quarantining for the most part, which is just crazy that this has gone on so long. But I guess this is the life we're leading now. Uh, how are you guys doing? Are you any any uh, comic book shopping or anything going on? Oh no. No, none of that fun stuff. <laughs> no, I 
had a chance to get down there in a few weeks now. It's waiting for me. A couple of weeks ago, I got together with uh, Dave Pescarella and Dario Gonzalez, and we, we did a couple of comic shop stops. And I probably picked up about, I don't know, about 25 books or so. Nice. Uh, so it was nice after, you know, because we, we recently moved and, you know, through the course of packing things up and moving things over and unpacking, I really have not done much comic shopping. And it was, it well, was fun to get it to the store for a change. Well, you're an adult, Paul. Yeah, only physically and chronologically. Well, it's sometimes we just got to do that adult stuff. Yep, you're an adult, which means life has to suck a lot of the time. I, yep. hate, I hate adulting. Yeah, oh, who doesn't? That's why I married someone who's so good at it. <laughs> she just starts taking over stuff. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll just agree. I'll be over here with the comics and the puppies and the TV cartoons. I try go. to do that. <laughs> And I'm told, no, you have to be an adult. And it's like, but why? Poor Quad. Then he goes, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is that a so, valid argument? I'll start using that. <laughs> <laughs> I find if you if you burst into tears, it helps. Oh, no, don't do that. Hey, any port in the storm? <laughs> well, you know what that leads to. You... Take that however you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can think of a couple of different answers I could do with that, and I like to keep this a uh, safe for work podcast. Okay. Yeah, I'm up for that. Besides, I get seasick, so no books. <laughs> so why don't, why don't we jump right in? We have three, let's just say three disparate books today. There yeah, is definitely yeah. no theme to our choices. No, it's old school, baby. Exactly. So, Chris, you took the Marvel. I did take the Marvel. The Marvel. Marvel. It's over in Baston, they call it Marvel. Marvel Comics. (laughs) Yes. And I am bringing to the table a book from one of my favorite series growing up. What If? This is What If Volume 2, number 16, which is What If Wolverine battled Conan the Barbarian. See, now, I, I think instead of what if, they could have just called this WTF. Yeah, well, family friendly again, right? Well, that's why I didn't say the words. <laughs> well, say the words. Say your magic words. And let me find the cover copy here. All right. So the writer for this one is Glenn Herdling. The penciler was Gary Quapitz. The Incas were Ian Akine and Brian Garvey, letterer Janice Chang, colorist Daniel Vazo, editor Craig Anderson, and the editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco. Finally, someone I heard of. <laughs> you know, that's that's exactly the thought I had. I was thinking, okay, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. Oh, yeah, okay, DeFalco, I've heard of him. Yeah, and yet, and I'll let you get back to the synopsis in a second, but... And yet I picked this up when it came out. I remember this issue. When you said this, I was like, oh, good. I know that one. Even though I haven't read it in like 10 years. So good for them for whatever, you know, whoever they are. Hey, good job. Something memorable. Yeah, it is memorable. And the cover is pretty memorable as well. Uh, Our corner box is Uatu, the Watcher, looking uh, ominous above the portraits of Cyclops. And I can't tell if that's Red Sonia or Jean Grey. For obvious reasons. Um, so 
our main picture here, it's a, it's a, a really nice uh, layout here, is we have Conan the Sumerian swinging a two-headed battle axe where one of them is clearly, one of the heads is snapped off, and he's got his great barbarian snarl going, and he's rearing up to take Wolverine, who's in his yellow and blue costume, just just take his head right off, and Wolverine is looking all Wolverine-y, slashing with his claws and leaping like the crazed mutant that he is. And uh, they do use the, the trade dress for Wolverine's logo uh, from his book on there, as well as the Conan trade dress for where it says Conan the Barbarian. And being what if we're going to jump into a previous scenario, which is the time when the X-Men during the Chris Claremont run were hanging out in space with Gladiator and Lalandra and the whole Dark Phoenix saga. And uh, just to cut to the quick, um, for reasons unknown, uh, Uatu is watching Jean Grey get all Dark Phoenixy, And for some reason, Wolverine... Um, crosses paths with Uatu, and, and Uatu says, Wolverine, you shouldn't be here. Um, so I'm going to, you know, bring you the pain so that, uh, you know, you stop messing with me and get out of my face. And we return to the regularly scheduled uh, action of what happened during the Doc Phoenix saga with uh, a reverse fastball special where Wolverine throws Colossus instead of vice versa, uh, and he lays out Jean Grey. Now, Uatu says, but what if, what if, I decided to really screw with Wolverine and send him back in time somewhere. In other words, inquisitive spectator, what if Wolverine had lived during the age of Conan the Barbarian? Uh, and we go to a great page of Wolverine in full-on Deadpool superhero pose uh, with dinosaurs and horses and, 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 and soldiers just fighting in the background and he's totally confused as to what the hell's going on. But he takes down a giant dinosaur because, you know, he's been to the Savage Land. He knows what's up. Uh, and he just takes him out. And the natives there are talking to him in their native, uh, I would assume it's the Hyborian age, so the Hyborian language of some type. And um, Wolverine trots off because he's like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. And he makes his way into a town. Now we now cut over to the other main character of the book, who is Conan the Barbarian. And Conan is hanging with some, well, some hoes uh, at a bar of some type. And uh, one of the villains from the uh, Conan book at the time, uh, which is, um, oh, God, what the hell is his name here? Um, I can't remember. Uh, Zukala, Yes, Zukala, who is a, uh, just a disembodied head speaking to Conan, saying, hey, you know your, uh, your girlfriend, Belit, the pirate princess that you love? Uh, if you kill this guy for me, I'll bring her back to life. So Conan, being Conan, is like, yep, that's what I got to do. Wolverine, we now cut to shambling into town, knocks a guy out, takes his rags so that he can fit in. And lo and behold, Red Sonia shows up and she's like, I don't know what you're doing in this alley and I'm going to mess you up. And of course, she's got red hair and uh, a great figure. So uh, Wolverine thinks it's Jean Grey for a half second because that's all he thought about during the the Claremont run, right? Uh, <laughs> he still doesn't know what the hell any of the people are saying because he doesn't speak the language. They get into a little tussle, and uh, Wolverine shows who's boss, and he defeats uh, Red Sonia in combat. 
And Sonya's monologue is like, oh, I would only give myself to a man who would best me in combat. And Wolverine's like, I don't know what the hell's going on here, but this isn't my style. So he trots off, <laughs> you know. Um, and now we cut to a scene in another bar. This is very D&D, where everything's happening in a bar. And uh, Red Sonia and Logan are trying to teach each other their language so that they can communicate. And in walks Conan. Sonia's uh, surprised to see him. She wants to follow him, see what the hell's going on and why he's floating around where she didn't think he would be. And the long and the short of it here is uh, Wolverine not understanding the language of what's going on, follows Sonya, who's following Conan, and the bad guy, uh, not the bad guy, the uh, mark that Conan has been sent to kill is there. He does a little magic-y magic. And in classic Marvel style, our two leads have to battle. <laughs> so, uh, great page of Conan swinging his sword, Wolverine looking very Wolverine-y and leaping, uh, and just the two of them going at it. Wolverine, of course, cuts through Conan's sword because he's got the adamantium. Conan doesn't know what the hell's going on. He thinks it's some sort of sorcery. Uh, big fighty fight. Neither of them understanding what the other one is saying. <laughs> and uh, Conan... Uh, Takes a swing right at Logan's uh, right at Logan's head, and the panel is oddly hilarious. Um, just pull this issue up and, and take a look at it. It's um, it's page 19 of the book, and I won't really describe too much other than there's a gleeful smile on the face of Conan and a pained expression on maybe a pained expe- expression on the face of Wolverine. Um, <laughs> or laughter, one of the two. I, I, yeah. I believe Scott calls that a derp face. It's more. Uh, it, yeah, this derp face, but it is also like, um, I'm derping you face. Um, so, <laughs> like, I don't know. And uh, Conan thinks he has dispatched Logan because he is bleeding profusely from his neck and he's totally laid out. Conan grabs the mark that he was sent to kill, puts Red Sonia, who was knocked out during the scuffle, um, on his shoulder, and he takes off. Wolverine, the old healing factor, kicks in. But um, he's not quite right in the head. He's very savage and bestial, doesn't have his memory. So he's going on pure instinct. He's smelling the trail of blood from the the fight that he and Conan had. He follows them to um, where Conan is going to have to sacrifice Red Sonia in order to get his beloved Belit back. And uh, Wolverine busts in. Even in his enraged state, he realizes that someone innocent is going to be getting killed doesn't take too kindly to it. It is a very savage, um, for a, a PG Marvel book at the time, fight. Uh, Wolverine manages to chop off Conan's right hand with his adamantium claws. And the wizard that um, they're all around there is uh, like, i got to figure out what's going on because this guy isn't from around here. He does some magic-y magic, and then they show a little panel of all the uh, the Watcher and the X-Men from the Dark Phoenix at the time. And he's like, oh, i got to get this guy back to his own time. He says his, he f- finds out his real name is Wolverine. That staggers Wolverine for a second because he's still crazed. And he's saying, hey, look, jump in this portal. You'll go home, blah, 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 blah. Wolverine sees Gene. Of course he does. Uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> Conan cauterizes his uh, cutoff hand. And uh, he's like, ah, I can't kill Red Sonia. This isn't right. So puts her on his shoulder, and he starts getting away. 
the wizard that's there conjures another demon from the Conan book, um, who is uh, Jagat Jagta. I uh, gotta love all those Conan names. So, of course, Conan is now spurred to action to fight this giant demon that this wizard has unleashed. They have a great little fight. Wolverine um, also gets involved, and the two of them basically take down the demon. In the scuffle, Conan falls into the portal that this wizard has said is going to disappear as soon as somebody goes through it. So Conan has now been whisked away from not the Hyborian Age, and Wolverine is now yelling over the portal going, Gene! And then he uh, realizes he can't get back to his home, cuts off the head of the wizard in a great little panel that's all shadowy, but you get the point across. And, um, you know, it's the end of the book. So um, the wizard's castle has to just get totally destroyed. And uh, Wolverine, Red Sonia, and the uh, mark that Conan was going to kill all escape. And, uh, well, Logan's stuck in the past, and he's with a redhead who reminds him of Gene. So they make out. And in a little uh, postscript, we talk about the Numidian Chronicles, which talks about the passing of Conan and the rise of Logan the Wolverine and his bride, Red Sonia. And the epilogue is Conan of Samaria popping into, uh, well, the future. And he's greeted by the Super Skrull and a Kree soldier, and he just does his damnedest to, um, you know, mess him up real bad. Uh, and he does. Uh, and all while this is going on, he then finds his way over to the Dark Phoenix battle that's going on. And without Wolverine and Colossus to stop the Dark Phoenix, um, well, she goes all Dark Phoenix and uh, destroys the world. And the watch is like, well, that happened. The end. <laughs> so there you go. My bad. <laughs> Oops. It's a good thing I didn't mess with them. <laughs> oh, man. I probably could have condensed that synopsis, but what are you going to do? That's yeah. right. It was, it was entertaining. That's what I try to be. <laughs> so, yes. Um, this I love the What If series, all, all of them to varying degrees, but the, this Volume 2 is the one that I have the most um, affection for. And it's, of course, this is where you're going to get stories like this. Because who doesn't want to see Wolverine fight Conan? I mean, come on. It's great. Yeah. No, that was that was fun. I liked it when it came out. Me I would have liked to see them do another one with this. Because I know for some of them, they did, like, sequels. Yeah, there was a couple. You know, and it's a weird series to try to do a follow-up to. I mean, it... Well, because usually it ends with the world coming to an end or characters dying. It's or characters very, being very stuck in... I, I like the ones where the characters end up with the same fate that they would have had anyway. <laughs> but very, 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 very rare happy ending in What If. Well, I mean, it's not a book that's there to be a happy end. It's there to, to, to tickle the mind, you know? Yeah. Well, in this particular story, I kind of felt like they came up with the premise of it would just be cool to have Wolverine fight Conan, which, you know, I, I, I don't deny the that as a thought. But it really isn't what I look to what if for. I look to what if to see, you know, okay, how are they going to take the existing history that we know it and and just give it the butterfly effect of, you know, pretty much with what we change. I think that was the original premise of what if. Now, this one, it has that as its epilogue, 
but it really isn't the story <laughs> that we get at all. No. <laughs> well, it's you got to jump through a lot of hoops to get Wolverine back in time to a book that was only tangentially related to the Marvel Universe at the time. Because I, I don't know, was the black and white book still going on for Conan at this time, or is it just the, the mass market color book? Well, this one um, was talking 1990. I, I don't I think... really know, but I, I'm thinking it was not. Yeah, I mean, it, you know what? If you got access to the, to the to that Robert E. Howard character, you might as well use him in an interesting way. You know, it's yours to do with as you will. Yeah, but to me, my point is that this isn't what I loved about What If. This was an entertaining enough story. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't what I it wasn't what attracted me about What If. Oh, me neither. But it's I mean, when you see this on the stands, I mean, how are you not buying this? You know. That's the thing. All right. So the last issue of Savage Sword was number 235, July 95. Okay. Wow. So, so it was. The, wow. So okay. The, yeah. The so the black and white book went longer than the the mainstream book, I think, then, huh? Right? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. I'll have to look that one up in a second. That's a, that's a, good, that's a good run for, for, for an adult publication at the time. Yeah, I did get. I was getting it probably around this time then, because I know I was getting a bunch of the Conan stuff when I was in high school. So nice. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, it lasted a little longer. Conan the Barbarian, two hundred seventy-five issues, nineteen seventy to nineteen ninety-four. Wow, that's a hell of a run for a licensed book. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Jeez. but what I just meant about seeing the sequels, like, it can, although they probably wouldn't, because the characters weren't. Their heyday was in the 70s, but I mean, technically, Cole and early Atlantis follows this. And, you know, if you when this was included in the Marvel history and then it wasn't, now it is again. <laughs> you know, that was like part of the, you know, the origin of Atlant- Namor's Atlantis and stuff. And since Wolverine lives a long time, that kind of been cool, like to see like Wolverine fighting Cull oh, in yeah. Atlantis. But in 1990, who gave a damn? <laughs> right. I mean, I would have looked at it going, who the hell is this? At, you know, at the time, but like, who the hell is that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm trying to. Th- I mean, really, the the biggest success out of What If was was Spider Girl, right? Yeah, that launched out of it. Now it's what Volume Three, I think. It was issue 105 of this run. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Forgot how long this ran. Jeez, I'm getting old. <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys, but I am not a fan of this art. Uh, it's it's not the best art. I, the cover, I, I love the cover. I mean, that's. We'll I think the cover is later. the strongest. It, piece it of is. But I mean, it's it's what if was it ever getting the best talent on it? Oh, really? it went back and forth. Mm-hmm. It, it. I mean, they had rotating artists. You know, they they didn't they didn't have a a or at least that I'm aware of. I mean, but you saw there were issues. You know, where Gil Kane drew it. There were issues when Frank Miller drew it. They did have some top guys. Uh, do some issues in here. Yeah, but, but a lot of times it was like almost like a tryout book. It's like, all right, I'll give you guys an issue and see what you can in, do. In particular, I really don't like the way this guy draws the Watcher. The very first image on uh, on on the the opening page, uh, it shows you why people rarely draw the top and bottom of people's lips. <laughs> it just looks terrible. Yeah, uh, it's it's not yeah. great. But I, again, you think about the Watcher and it. And the, and the Kirby version is kind of burned in your mind. The so Kirby version, or then you go to the burn version, which 
I particularly like around the time this came out. Uh, look at look at the next full image of him uh, on uh, what is it? Page, page three. Three. He's got a giant baby head. Well, he does have a giant baby head. No, this is worse though than the than. It's this, it's this not it's not great. Um, yeah. it, it's serviceable enough. I think the artwork on a whole is serviceable. Uh, well, to be fair, the the way he's doing Wolverine is is uh, uh, the Wolverine is fine. I go mean, over, it's, to, go it's, over to page eleven in the middle panel, the first or the middle row, the first two panels. Wolver, there's two shots next, right next to each other, uh, of Wolverine, and his face looks totally different in both of them. He looks like two different people. Yeah. Yeah. I can almost see like he's modeling them after two different actors there. I, I don't know who, but they almost look like modeled after somebody. That's certainly possible. But again, it, it, it looks like Wolverine to me. I, that's in a book like this, uh, you know, if it was Wolverine's own, own book, I'd be a little more judgmental. But it's it, it's Wolverine versus Conan. <laughs> and, and I and I think the way that, that he's drafted Conan on, in, in most of these pages is pretty good, too. I mean, it's. He looks just like a, a badass homunculus, you know. Like yeah, he, he he looks like he he really went with the John Buscema model on on Conan. Yeah, and and I, and I think a lot of the facial expressions through here, some of them are a little goofy, but some of them are like, ooh, that is that is rage right there, you know. And his draftsmanship on Red Sonia in most of the panels, I mean, it's she looks pretty good. Pretty, pretty good, you know. On, on Red Sonia, it looks like he's modeling it after the Burn version from uh, Marvel Team Up. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> no, and and you know, on a whole, I think Al hit it right. I think this the artwork is serviceable. You could follow the story, and it's not. There's nothing that's so bad that makes me think, oh God, I can't read this. I just, I just think it's it's up and down. It's all over the map. Uh, it's just not, you know, it's just not for me, effectively. Yeah, no, it's not, it, outside of the cover, there isn't anything I'd want to put on my wall. Yeah. But, but it's, uh, again, like you said, it's serviceable. I didn't find any of it muddled or confusing, which, if you're able to convey the story visually and I don't get confused, that's already a big plus, you know? So, True. especially during battle scenes. And so. let's face it also, the depends on the time it came out this came out back in 1990 it was a buck and a quarter it was a one-shot issue basically you bought it you read it you got enough to tell, to tell the story if this thing came out now which would be like at least 5.99 i'm not paying 5.99 for this oh no neither am i, I but if i would gonna, i'd want a four issue miniseries that would actually get a chance to breathe and tell a deeper story well, with these two more characters. I, I would want a more high profile artist than like tryout, but you know, for a buck and a quarter back then, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, uh, and it's, I mean, it's it, he's definitely trying to do the the '70s Wolverine that's got the body hair everywhere and who is not attractive. You know, I love you, Hugh Jackman, but you are not the comic book Wolverine. You know, so. Just uh, as as an aside, I don't think that's the Super Scroll at the end. I think it's just a scroll. Well, he's got rocky hands, though. He does, he does he? have the thing hands, but if, if I remember from that particular X-Men story, and even in this, he's, he gives his name here. It's, was it, Raycor? Oh, Raxor. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, in Dark Phoenix, they had a scroll observer and a Kree observer for the execution of Phoenix, and during the battle, they kill each other. Okay, well, now Conan gets to kill them, because why not? With one hand, no less. 
Yeah. <laughs> so. And then everything else dies anyway. Yep. But good uh, job, Conan. Good job. Hey, look, you plop Conan into the future with a bunch of guys that probably want to kick his ass. He's taking them out first. When did this come out in relation to Age of Apocalypse? Because in Age of Apocalypse, Wolverine has the one hand. Uh, this that's, is August 90. Apocalypse is like, what, 95? Yeah, that's later. Around, probably around there, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, this issue, this run of What If ran 114 issues, not counting a minus one issue, so technically 115. It's also a good run for a, you know, a one-off book every month, an anthology. Yeah. Last issue's dated November 98, so. Wow. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, this is, again, it's not the best story. It's not the deepest story. It's a it's a punchy, punchy story with two characters that you'd probably like to see go toe-to-toe. Um, and, and that's fine. But it's like, this is, I mean, the, the, the 80s and early 90s Marvel is like, that's my bread and butter. That's where I'm happiest when I'm rereading stuff. So it's, if I get a chance to revisit What If or, you know, the Spider-Man runs from the eighties. Like that's where I kind of want to be. So yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, it did. And I mean, this is 1990. I mean, what dark Phoenix is what? 78. Yeah. Like, so it's, I mean, so it's, you know, it, it it was still an important enough story in the minds of, of the writers and the, the regular readers at the time that that's where we're going to, our entry point is going to be that big, huge event, you know? So, yeah, I mean, was... you, you, you could have literally had Wolverine walk out of the X-Men mansion and fall into a hole and go back in time. But, you know, you didn't. You, you put it in here so that you could have that that big what ending at the end, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. And well, they were still at, at least that it. gives us the what if premise. Yeah. And, and you're right, because they were still referencing Dark Phoenix at this time, because Inferno was 89. And that's when the X-Men find out Jean Grey is alive again. So, I mean, they had just found, they were just a year, you know, except for X-Factor knowing it, G, the X-Men just found out less than a year ago that she's alive. So it's still being referenced over and over still, constantly in the X-Books. And twice in the movies in the last 20 years. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, let's, uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's much more to say about this one. It's not a deep issue. <laughs> so. So, so let's rate it and we'll move, keep moving forward. All right, I'll let you gentlemen go first. All right, well, all to your show. All right, uh, well, i got to say, I think the cover is the high point of the artwork in the book. Uh, I, I think it's pretty solid. It's got an action scene, and it tells you, I think, pretty much exactly what Chris is saying. It gives you the, uh, you know, the battle that you're, you're looking for. Um, so I, I think it's a pretty solid cover. I, I think... Yeah, it's not perfect, but it's really solid. So I'm going to give it a B. Uh, the interior art, I feel, is very inconsistent from some images that I like a lot to some images images that I really don't like at all. Um, it's definitely uh, lacking some inconsistency. On the other hand, as you mentioned, I think the storytelling is pretty solid. I think it makes it pretty easy to follow, even though you know this is a fairly complex story. Uh, you know, to get us to the battle. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say a B on the artwork based more on storytelling and pacing than on uh, actual renditions. 
Uh, and the story itself, my biggest complaint about it is it's really not what I look for in what if, but if the whole idea was we're going to give you this premise and come up with a way to execute it, I guess, you know, at least they were creative enough to do that. And, and then the ending ties it together in, in a what if fashion where the whole world goes to shit. Uh, <laughs> yep. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go bees all around. I'm going to say it's a B book and it's almost against my uh, better wishes. I feel like it shouldn't be quite a B book, but it is. <laughs> gotcha. Exactly. <laughs> Well, you're not far off from me. That the cover, I, I'm going to give the cover a little higher because I I like the cover a lot. It's not the greatest artist of them, but that's more in the interior. But the cover tells you what you're getting. You know, we got Conan fighting Wolverine. You know, and like we said, the cover is the best art. They put the most time into the cover for the artwork. So I'm going to and I remember this. I mean, I haven't read this in like 20 years, and as soon as you said it, I could think of the cover in my mind. Nice. So. The fact that the cover stays in your head, they gotta give it something. So I'm giving them, I'm going with an E minus on that one. The interior artwork, like we said, there are plenty of times, especially Wolverine's face, where it seems to change. There's that one part where he gets, a, you know, Conan tries to chop his head off, and it looks kind of almost like he's laughing. You know, without the without the captions, you wouldn't know he was hurt. <laughs> I thought it was, I, when I first read it, I remember thinking like, oh, he's mocking him because like, yeah, you think you're gonna chop my head off? Well, I got an adamantine skeleton, and it's like, what, why is he laying down? That was laughing. <laughs> but it it's good enough, you know, for a one shot bucket of quarterback. Then it's good enough. I'm gonna give the art a B, and the story also gets a B. It's it's nothing spectacular. You're not gonna be thinking about the ramifications of this story or the you know what kind what it's making you think about life and humanity. It's just, we got to figure out some way to get these two, you know, jackasses to fight each other. <laughs> and they do. So, overall, it works out. Yeah, it's a B issue. It's good enough. All right. Uh, again, uh, the cover is great. Um, I, I'd go with a B plus on it. It's exactly the kind of thing that I would want, like I said, hung up in my room. Uh, two characters that I absolutely love in action poses. Uh, snarling at each other, ready to do battle, and, and why not? The interior art is, as has been said, inconsistent and not great. Um, there's no need to, to belabor the point. Um, it, it's it's C art. It's absolutely mediocre, middle of the road, but it tells the story. And in terms of the story itself, um, the setup in the epilogue, um, there's a lot of pages out of this book. Um, when you have limited real estate, um, I want more of what you promised on the cover. Um, I would have had Wolverine back in time, uh, even a page sooner. You know, he gets there on page four. I would have had him there on page two because it, it's what if you, you don't need a lot of convoluted stuff to get him there if you really don't want it. Um, but, yeah, the story, it's a C story, um, and it's a shame that it is a C story. It's enjoyable. I, I whipped through this. I, I read it twice just because, you know, I wanted to make sure that I caught everything. Um, but it's it's a pick-it-up-read-it-and-put-it-down book. Um, I, I wouldn't be embarrassed to own it if I, if I had it at this point. 
Um, but it's not going to be the first book that I'm going to give somebody unless they really love Wolverine or Conan. I'll say, hey, have you seen this? Uh, so, yeah, the story is a C. The interior art is a C. And the covers are B plus. So it's, uh, it is exactly uh, 1990 Marvel that was not being written by one of the big hitters. <laughs> there you go. Do I have to get my overall grade, or <laughs> I think that I guess that would be a, a C then, if it's a B plus and two Cs, right? Or maybe it's a B minus. Uh, I don't know. It's Math. whatever. You, it's whatever you think it is. What I always say is that uh, you know the, the 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 final sum doesn't have to be equal to, or the the final grade doesn't have to be equal to the sum of its parts. Uh, then you know sometimes right. you C could plus. say I, I you could say I gave everything a C in this book, and yet when I put it all together, it really works, and the book is a B. You know, I mean, it's it's whatever you, whatever you're comfortable with as your. Uh... All right, solid C plus then. Okay, so that will do it for our Marvel book for today, and now we could take a look at a DC. Al, you got something for us? I'm supposed to bring something? Crap! Oh my god! Was playing the role of Bill today. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought that was me. I do my job well. No, I actually do have something. So we have Legion of Superheroes, uh, the 1989 run, number 14. So it helps in this one to have the previously in there. So pre- to, just so you know where you are, since this is an ongoing series, unlike the What If, which is a one-shot. So previously, Tenzel Kem, former Legionnaire Mad Reader lad and reluctant senator from the planet Bismol, has rescued Breck Bannon, formerly Polar Boy, from unjust imprisonment by EarthGov, and they've headed out into the galaxy together. One of their former teammates, Joe Na, Ultra Boy, had been stranded by the criminal Roxas on what appears to be Kundia, and meanwhile, a large group of ex-Legionnaires has gathered on the planet Winneth, and Reap, Chameleon Boy Daggle, and Rock Crin, formerly Cosmic Boy, are reorganizing the team after its two-and-a-half-year hiatus. Hang on, hang on, I'm already confused. <laughs> That was supposed to be the thing that was going to get me unconfused, wasn't it? Basically, the Legion had broken up, and now they're reforming, and meanwhile, they sent Matter Eater Lad to rescue one of the teammates from prison. Oh, all right. Which he did with some legal maneuvering. Ooh. Love maneuvering. Yeah. Yes, legal maneuvering that involved uh, confusing a judge and throwing pies in his, pies in his uh, the defendant's face. As you do. But it worked. They tricked them to get him off. And now they're on a spaceship going through the galaxy. And so we start off in deep space, the Tartarus sector, on the Ranchito Mobile Lodge. So it's basically a floating hotel. And we have some guards from the nearby planet asking for the asking for Kem. And the uh, the hotel clerk is like, um, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know. And his assistant's like, no, no, I know who it is. Senator Tenzel Kem. He's right here. We have him. He's like, oh, that guy. You wanted that guy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we can page him. Yeah, that's no problem. You put the gun down now. <laughs> so they page him, and basically he gets brought to the planet Tartarus, who is run by a character named Evilo, who's an old Silver Age villain of the, the Legion. And Evilo is kind of pissy to having to call him over because his daughters want to meet a real Legionnaire. And so Tenzel Kim, uh, formerly Matter Leader Lad, Polar, uh, Polar Boy, and Tenzel's assistant... Uh, who used to be known as Calorie Queen. You gotta love those Silver Age names. Oh, yeah. Are on this planet, and they're like, wait, we're being held by Evilo, the founder of the Devil's Dozen? It's like, well, 
he never got a dozen for his doubles dozen. He had like five guys. You know, besides, he's part of the United Planets now. I'm a senator. They have to treat me good. He's a good guy as long as, you know, you ignore the horns that come out of his head occasionally and he gets pissy. <laughs> and, you know, it's like in Evil of Ozair, it's like I, my daughters wanted me to really generic. And Tenzel's like, of course, I can sign my memoirs, but they don't want to meet him. They're more enthralled by Polar Boy. Who wouldn't be? They, they are all excited to meet him. Uh we jump to the sub, jump to one of the two subplots that have been running for the last few issues, where Joe Na, formerly Ultra Boy, is trapped on the planet Kundia, and he's shocked to find them working with the Dominion, the, the Dominators, the big yellow skin, big teeth uh, guys from DC that usually have red discs on their heads. Yeah. And he decides to steal a spaceship, and we jump back to Evil's uh, planet. Uh, planet. Um, Tenzel's talking to Evil's current queen. It's number 12. He goes through wives pretty quickly, apparently, and they seem to vanish. <laughs> and it's former Legion of Supervillains member Saturn Queen. And he's like, it's, you know, and there's some flirtation going on between them until he hears Calorie Queen screaming. And Evil has decided he wants wife number 13. But she's putting up a fight. Tenzel shows up to rescue her. After changing into costume, of course, because he's a superhero. That's what you do. And Evil grows those horns out of his head and blasts Tenzel to somewhere that smells very bad and is very hot. And kind of makes me, from his description, I kind of makes me think of Florida. <laughs> Oof. I live there, so I can say that. All right. And he decides to finally open his eyes and basically sees a zombie talking to him and closes his eyes again. It's like... Zombie tells him, it doesn't matter, you're still here, you can open your eyes. Welcome to our wonderful realm of dark, eternal darkness. You know, you're gonna spend you're gonna spend eternity here, we're gonna give you something to do, it's gonna be great, you're gonna love it, because you have no choice. Uh, we jump back to Joe stealing trying to steal a spaceship. And apparently, basically, it's the version of basically leaving the car in drive. So when you, when you turn it on, it just jumps right ahead. Ooh. But he's not caught because he's stealing the ambassadorship. And as the guys who are working the tower go, I'm not going to tell the ambassador how to drive. Are you? <laughs> no, no, no. We'll just leave him alone. So Joe limps off the planet within a damaged ship. And that's the last we see of him in this issue. Uh, back to Tenzel in the realm of darkness. He is going through there. He's getting his tour. He's going through the Valley of Lost Souls. A bunch of candles, you know, representing a lost soul. And there's one giant candle, which is the one that can't, which is the candle that must never, ever, ever, ever be blown out, or else something horrible will happen. And he's like, "Well, what if somebody wanted to leave?" And it's like, "Oh, you see these shackles? They're not just decorative. You know, they also have a function. The shackles of agony. <laughs> they can channel thousands of volts into your body if you try and disobey the rules." And they meet Erna who is the one person who tried to defy the shackles, and basically she they turned it on for two minutes, and she's basically a almost like a glowing skeleton until her jaw starts falling off. But she tells him about how, you know, they burst your organs, melt your bones, all kinds of fun stuff. And finally, he is going to be joining the Bags of Eternity, which is basically looks like a giant... Um, what is that thing called? The Scottish instrument. Bagpipe. Yes. Giant bagpipe where she's going to have to blow into for eternity. And he's like, wait, there's no brakes. 
that's it. Okay, I got to get out of here. And he meets Sigan, who is another old member of uh, the Devil's Dozen, who had not appeared, had shown up since Evil O blasting with the horns and back in the 60s. And Sigan's power, by the way, was uh, taking enormous breath, was super breath, basically. Because that's useful. It is. It's the power Superman uses the least, I think, next to super ventriloquism. <laughs> and we jump back real quick just to see the, uh, the current Legion looking at their new headquarters that they're being given. It's a fixer-upper, but they think they could work with it. And then we go back to the Realm of Darkness, and uh, Sigan's a little concerned because Tenzel's dragging him over to the candle that Nessa ever, ever be blown out. And Sigan's like, did you meet Irma? Do you know about the shackles, the bursting, the, bo- the bursting of the organs, the bones melting? He's like, look, this is fine. I'm going to eat the shackles because that's what he does. And therefore, the shackles can't hurt us. You blow out the candle. He's like, but that's the candle must ever be blown out. He's like, I know that doesn't apply to us because trust me, I'm a senator. <laughs> and that works. Sigan takes a deep breath, blows out the candle, and it basically shuts down that whole realm of darkness, sending everyone back to Evil's palace. Uh, inc- including, apparently, Evil finds out all 12 of his pre- 11 of his previous wives who want revenge, so that he has that going on for him. And meanwhile, yeah, and meanwhile, Tenzel finds out that during the time he was gone, he, the opposition party of his uh, politics have declared him dead. And he's trying to plan his own funeral. Unfortunately, it doesn't work out, you know. And in fact, they get scheduled. You know, they said he doesn't qualify for it because now he's not dead. So, too bad because she was hoping for it because they wanted a cremation. But because he was dead, his his senate was vacated, and she gets picked to be it. So she's happy because she wanted to be a senator, and now he's not. So now he has to figure out what to do. What to do? Lingerie inspector, interior decorator, tobacconist. He's like, ooh, no, wait, it's been at least 10 years since I've saved the universe, and I was pretty darn good at it, too. So he's going to go back to being a superhero. And that's basically it. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. A lot going on in this one. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, that's that's indicated by the fact that, you know, how many panels are on most of these pages. There's a couple of full-page splashes, but most most pages have nine panels on them. Giffen was big into the nine-panel nine, nine grid at the time. Which, to be fair, if a book of, you know, the Legion of Superheroes, which traditionally has, like, 20-something members, you know, you do the whole one, you know, splash page every page, you're only going to get some st- half the members in there. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, this was this was this was dense. I uh, even with the recap, I was I, I wasn't a, a a legion reader, so it's this was um I won't lie, it was it was a little little confusing. Can't argue with that. I'm gonna say it was a lot confusing. Okay. Yes, it was a lot confusing. <laughs> Yeah, if if this was my first Legion book that that I had read, I I don't know if I'd be coming back. And again, that's just because it's in the middle of a long form story, and uh, it's you know I have very little familiarity with most of the the Legion stuff outside of the uh, like the '60s Legion. So yeah, no, I can understand that. Although 
you know, except for the few little two, two or three pages of the other subplots, most of it is basically just about Tenzel dealing with Evilo and the candle must never be blown out. But yeah, you do have some other that's if the subplots weren't there, I think it would be a bit better. And that's kind of what I remembered of the issue more is I remembered the other things. When I got to the subplots myself and rereading this, mm. I went, I forgot about these. I forgot they were here. I thought it was all just him. <laughs> Most of no. my Legion knowledge is from the 70s and the 80s. Uh, you know, I, I pretty much I think I peaked out at the Great Darkness saga. And uh, so by the time this came around, I was not, you know, they had gone so many different places that I, I you know, had, I, I didn't really know what was going on anymore. I have to say the artwork does not look like what I traditionally think of as Keith Giffen art. No, but he, you can, if you look through Giffen stuff in the, you know, chronologically, you can see there's a lot of changes in his art. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, the, yes. Yeah. If if you go to you know when he when he was first starting out and uh, you know it was a little bit more rough back then, then he he kind of refined it and then he got more experimental as it went on, but uh, I'm I'm thinking uh, you know maybe maybe he didn't really you know maybe he just did uh, some some you know real rough layouts and didn't really do too much you know detail work in this, so this might be more the stylistic. You know, channeling of uh, Al Gordon and Carlos Carzan. Oh, that, that remind me, I forgot to do that. Credits: uh, Tom and Mary Beerbaum, plot and dialogue; Keith Giffen, story assistant pencils; Al Gordon and Carlos Carzan, inks; John Workman, letters; Tom McCraw, colorist; and Dan Raspler was the editor. And of those names, the only one I really know is Keith Giffen. Yeah. So, so this is just two books in a row where uh, I know one name. Oh. To be fair, I I have this entire run, so I don't know those names, of course. <laughs> Tom Mary Pierbaum mostly worked with Giffen. They also did the dialogue for the Heckler series that he did after this. Mm-hmm. Al Gordon did some inks a lot of places, including he did his own image book, uh, Wildstar. If you ever read that. I, I didn't read it, but I am <laughs> vaguely familiar with it. Uh well, so, so of the three of us, you're the only one who was really following the Legion at this particular iteration. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on it because you have a more, uh, you know, a full understanding of what was going on, much more so than Chris and I. No, true. And I mean, I do. I will be honest. I love this run. This is one of my favorite runs of it. This is when I started reading the book in the middle of this run. I think I started with issue 21. It's very much a non-traditional story. It's there's a lot of stuff that seems very ahead of its time in this entire run. Like it's stuff that would, you would see later on, but not at the time of 1990. Uh, basically, I mean, basically it's about people who used to be superheroes and what happens afterwards. You know, they're not really a team anymore. And, they, you know, they've got, you know, they're a little older than they were and they kind of show them as the age they, you know, they emphasize their age a bit more here instead of when they were still running around in the costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see a lot more of those type of books coming out in the last 15 years, but not back at the time. True. I mean, yeah, so this was a little more groundbreaking uh, at that time. This was, yeah, this is something that I would see, I, I could have seen more as done as like a, a TV, like a sci-fi TV show showing like, you know, using that as the background premise. These people used to be superheroes and now they're not. And let's see what happens to all of them afterwards. Yeah, I mean that's a great hook for a for a 
story too. So because you know, and because you, then you have, but also since it's the Legion, you have that stuff going back to the '60s, and especially when this, they do the issues spotlighting him, Matter or Lad, they definitely bring that stuff back up. I mean, calorie clean, the fact that he can eat, th- you know, he his powers to eat things. You know, in the previous issue, yeah, in the previous issue, he goes to a diner with somebody to for a clandestine meeting, and he can't even stand the food, and you see him start just grabbing the ashtray, putting salt on, it, and starts chewing on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No shame he's like, in the I, game. He's like, I can't eat this crap. I'll eat this stuff though. Nice. So, and can't they're eat also this touching. Crap, I'll eat that crap. Exactly. <laughs> and, and they touch on more here with the, you know, some of the goofier '60s villains who haven't been seen in a while, like Sigan, who could just, who is super breath, or Evilo, who had a team called the Devil's Dozen, but it only had about five members. That's great. <laughs> And they kind of, you know, point it out here. It's like, he only had five of them. It's not that big. It's not that big. Maybe it was a space dozen. Yeah. <laughs> well, as he said, when he had 12, you know, when Saturn Queen says I'm his 12th wife, he's like, hey, he got his devil's dozen finally. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, this, these, 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 like, they did two or three issues spotlighting him, and they basically have made him, like, my favorite member of the Legion. Nice. Even though most writers before and after kind of ignore him because of the power, which is to uh, just eat things. Yeah, you know, and it's it, it is kind of a goofy power, but a good writer can make it work. Yeah, you well, know. I, yeah, I agree, and like I always say, well, yeah, I mean, I understand only eating something is not that great of power. I mean, it's not as good as Batman's power of. Wait, what is this power again? Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's rich, according to the <laughs> Snyder JLA. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, none. No powers. He's got a beautiful mind. But yeah, this is a, I mean, Giffen Art's a little, uh, it's not as experimental as it gets later on. I mean, did you ever read Trencher? I did not. No, no. Look up that art. That I... is really, really experimental. He was getting right. really, really weird at that point. Nice. But yeah, this is a kind of a dense run. It usually does help if you start reading from the first issue. That, they, well, yeah, makes sense. Because they do, they punching do get into a lot up, of uh, things. Trent, punching up Trencher as we speak, and yeah, this it looks like his art then was much more cartoony. Yeah. That series. Yeah, his art goes up, you know, change around a lot. He goes through a lot of phases. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you find what works for you, you find yeah. what works for the book that you're doing. I mean, all artists, you know, grow, you know, change and grow if they're somewhat decent, at least. Just depends on whether or not you like what they change or grow into. Right. I think it's that qualification that you have to work with the if they're somewhat decent. <laughs> True. Oh. Yeah, because I mean, look at almost any good, any good artist. You look back at their old, st- you know, their first work, and well, yeah, you might be able to tell it's them still. It looks so much different. I mean, you know, than what they what you'll see coming out from them twenty years later. You know, look at early Simonson. Look at early Kirby. You know, yeah. You look at early Kirby in the Golden Age. I mean, look at Captain America number one, co- comics number one. That does not look like his work on Fantastic Four. Nope. Nor does that look like the stuff he did for New Gods. Yeah, well, I think some of some of that is you know, the maturation of his style. And some of it is 
the style of comic book art at that time. True. You know, I think I think you know some when you look at some of the golden age stuff, you're looking at that's the way they drew comics back then, and then as Cur- as the Kirby legend grew, uh, you know he was given more freedom to do it the way he chose, and I think he helped the comic industry to mature to a great extent as he was allowed to do you know more himself. I would I would agree with that. Yeah, I cannot sure. agree that statement at all. But yeah, overall, I would say this series, it's if you're looking for something just to read and have fun with and then put it down and not think about it, it's not the series you're going to enjoy. If you're looking for a bit more sci-fi than straight up superhero and something that's a, you're going to have to spend a little more time into, you know, you want if you're looking for a series you can dig into, then yeah, I would recommend this run. But if you're not looking for that at the time, you want something just to read real quick and enjoy, this is not the run for you then. Fair enough. But like I said, personally, my favorite run of it, I still need to pick up the omnibus that just came out recently in the last year. Nice. Everything gets omnibuses now. Where's my Sleepwalker omnibus? Still waiting. <laughs> Whatever happened to the Sleepwalker movie? It, it came supposed, out. It was supposed to have a premiere, but that was right when COVID hit. I was gonna yeah. go. You can you can you can watch it. It's on YouTube. I was going to go to the premiere. I'm in it. It was, here, it was in Tampa. Yeah. My, my smiling mug is in it. I'm Check it out. This. Yes, you are. <laughs> I didn't realize it was out. I just knew the premiere was delayed. Yeah, it got delayed, and it sucks for those guys. Um, but, yeah, I mean, support it. Check it out. It's uh, it's it's really nice. It's a it's a very well-made project. And, yeah, no, uh, I and uh, and it, knowing what I know about Sleepwalker and following it for my whole life, um, they do a lot of world building and, and definitely setting up, you know, uh, secondary characters and other things that I was not expecting. So it's, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. It's up there. Yeah, I remember meeting those guys a few years ago at the Tampa Bay Comic Con. I even have, I even have the Sleepwalker T-shirt they had out for it. I have the T-shirt and I got the uh, the little postcard flyer. So yeah, I yep, it's uh yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> so yeah, but that's not this book. No, that's no, it's not no, Sleepwalker. No. We we are uh, far wandering. afield. We're wandering. Yes, yes. As old men are prone to do. Where am I again? Um, I don't even remember at this point. <laughs> I don't know. We did the synopsis, did a basic breakdown. Um, yeah, talked about book, it. So, not the book to just jump into if you want something light. I think that's exactly. Where we're at. All right. So, I guess up to you guys now. All right. Uh, hey, since, since I went last the last time, I will go first this time. Because why not? All right. Um, so the, uh, we'll start with the cover. The cover definitely, uh, is evocative. Um, you know, we have our lead, uh, begging off the, the bad guy, uh, who, you know, who's got his flaming hands ready to pounce. Um, and it's, uh, it's definitely in that, that early nineties style. Um, I, you know, the, the heavy blacks on certain parts of it, um, and it, it might just be the scan that I'm reading. It looks a little muddy, um, but I, that, again, that might be the scan. Um, 
I think it's an intriguing cover. I would want to know why there's this dapper uh, Dan uh, getting menaced by a, a reject from Shakespeare with flaming <laughs> hands. So, I mean, that that in and of itself might prompt me to, to flip through. Um, the interior art, um, I like all the weird alien designs. Um, I think those are great. Um, the humanoid characters, it's, it's almost got that... Um, very blocky, angular Bruce Tim style um, to, to some degree. Not not quite that. Um, I don't think it's bad art. It's it's pretty easy to follow those nine panel grids. Um, it's and again, um, it's that early '90s muddy kind of kind of coloring though, you know. And and I get that it's somewhat bleak where everything's going on, um, but uh, it's. Again, it's uh, it's serviceable. Um, you know, I'd give it, I'd give the interior artist a solid C. And uh, in terms of the the story itself, um, like I said, I was confused. Um, I think this was a hell of an issue to try to jump into, even with the recap. Um, so I don't know if it's fair for me to, in terms of the long form story, to to kind of judge it. But picking it up as something that I'm jumping in and I'm reading it, like if somebody gave this to me, and you know just gave me a stack of books and I was just reading my way through them. Um, I'd read it, you know, it wasn't a super long read, even for as many panels and as much dialogue as it has. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not Brian Michael Bendis levels of, of, uh, text, you know? Um, but, um, I don't know. I don't know if there would have been anything in this issues particularly that would have hooked me if I wasn't reading from the beginning or had more of a familiarity with the, the previous run. Um, so in, in that regards, I, I got to give the, the story a, a C minus. So, um, I, I guess overall it's a, it's a, a C minus for me on this one. Fair. Yeah. Um, uh, for the most part, I think, you know, what you say is very fair on this. Uh, I'm not that intrigued by the cover. Honestly, I look at it and without a familiarity for what's going on, I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's almost like this this book in a nutshell. Uh, it's almost like you have to you have to be comfortable with the story in order to kind of read through it. I always feel like you look at the cover and it's like, okay, I don't know who these people are and and what they're doing, and you know, I'm going to just move on. I think it's well drawn, but it just doesn't really grab me. Uh, so I'm going to give it a C plus for being well drawn, but I'm going to keep it from getting any more only because it doesn't, you know, like I said, it doesn't make me want to pick up the book and read it. Uh, the interior art, it's not my favorite iteration of Giffen, but it is very, you know, it's, it's clean. It, it, you know, it gives you your story. Uh, I'm going to say a B minus on the interior art and the story and uh, kind of as you were saying, Chris, it's it's it's, it's a little off-putting to me just because I I just not I'm just not familiar with what's going on here, so I found it very confusing for me. I think if I had been reading it and and I knew more, I'd, I'd feel more strongly about it. But with what it is, I, I kind of I, I don't know that I would ever pick up this book and read it on its own. Uh, so I'm going to say a C plus also, just based on the fact that I think if you were familiar with this, you'd like it a lot more. And and I'll give it I'll give the book a C plus also. All right, all right. Let's see. So for me, and I'm trying to, because I do really love this series, but I'm trying to make it a fair judgment of it. 
So cover-wise, it's it's drawn very well. I can't argue that. But I do have to agree, Paul. It's not the most exciting. They're, they've done much better covers in the run, and it's not the best uh, example of what of what the, happens in the book, or at least the best representative representation of what happened in the book. So I would agree, actually, with your assessment. I would give it actually a C minus for a cover. Uh, for the interior itself, this is the Keith Giffen that I'm most used to. This is the Keith Giffen I started reading. So it's like a lot of those things. The one you start with is the one that always is the head. And the one you come back to, the, the one you, you're most comfortable with. So I'm, there's a little bit of difference in this ink, though. And usually it's just Al Gordon doing the inks, not the Carlos, not, what was his name? Carlos Gozan. So I'm wondering if his, if that's, I haven't gone back and read the whole run in a little while, so I'm wondering if maybe that's why this looks a little off from what it normally does. So I'm going to give this art a B, because it still does the job well. It still tells the story, at least at the nine-panel grid, unless you're really bad. You, it makes it easy to tell where to go. You know, Thank God there's no arrows in this one saying, go here now. <laughs> you, know, you know how to read it, so I'm going to give the art a B. Story... See, for me, I'm having trouble. I mean, I really love the Tenzel issue. So, I mean, and I kind of I forgot even about the uh, subplots. And that kind of did take away even for me rereading this because I just want to see Tenzel running around. Because basically I realized when you're doing his solo issues, you kind of have to read him with Bill Mur 80s Bill Murray voice in your head. Because <laughs> that's basically who he is, more or less. He's 80s Bill Murray. All right. It's the way he behaves. He behaves very much like Bill Murray does. You know, he mocks everybody, talks around them, confuses the hell out of them. Yeah, he's Peter Venkman, more or less. All right. So the other ones took away a bit, you know, the subplots took away a bit for me, but I do love the Tenzel story and convincing people, trust me. So I'm going to give this uh, the story a B plus. So overall, I'm giving the issue a B plus. All right, yeah. cool. So that's how Marvel or DC, and who's got the indie? You. Oh, shit. Uh, okay, so for the indie, uh, I just recently watched the first episode on Amazon Prime of the new cartoon of Invincible. So it got me back yep. kind of intrigued with the character again. So I decided let's take a look at the first issue of Invincible, which has a cover date of January of 2003. Uh, the cover artist and the interior artist and anchor is Corey Walker. The writer is Robert Kirkman. Uh, the colorist is Bill Crabtree. And the letters are done by Robert Kirkman. And, it, you know, this was a, a uh, an image comic. And the cover shows Invincible in his costume uh, with his back to the wall and his fists in the air ready to take on all comers. Uh, but... The wall behind him is all cracked, so it looks like he must have been thrown into it at some point, uh, which which is kind of cool because, you know, he's, he may be invincible, but he's not perfect. <laughs> so the story opens up, and we see Invincible flying with somebody with a uh, bomb attached to his upper torso, and he's saying, you know, you really ruined my afternoon. And he takes the guy and throws him into the air where he blows up. And that throws Invincible, you know, the con the concussion from the blow throws him into the snow. And he gets up and he uh, flies away. And he says, if I keep this up, I'm going to have to get, I'm going to 
I'm going to give myself a heart attack. And then we cut to four months earlier. So Invincible, in his uh, human form, is sitting on the uh, toilet reading a comic book. Yeah. His mom is banging on the door saying, if you keep that up, you're going to give yourself a heart attack. So it's kind of kind of calling back to the first uh, scene in, in a strange way, and he's he's like he's he's mortified by that. He's like Jesus, Mom, I'm just reading a comic book. I'll be out in a minute. Uh, so he comes out, and then he's getting ready for uh, I guess to go to school, and they're wondering where his father is, and she's saying you know he hasn't come back from work yet, and then there's a news uh, broadcast showing that. Omni-Man, who is the defender of democracy, is fighting against a dragon-like monster. Uh, and then their reaction is to say, okay, well, now we know where he is. And and the mom nonchalantly just says, I hope he brings back something nice for me. I've never been to Taiwan. Uh, so we, we cut to school where, uh, where Invincible, who, by the way, is uh, named uh, Mark uh, Grayson, He's he's meets up with a friend who wants to go to some kind of party, and Mark says no, he's got to go to work. Cut to him at work where he's working at like a, a burger joint, and he's coming out back to throw a bag of garbage into the uh, trash bin, and he lifts up the cover and he throws he goes to throw the the garbage, and when he does he heaves it you know way way up the sun. in the sky. <laughs> and and he, he's looking at it, he smiles, and he says, it's about time. So then uh, we cut to him and his mom sitting down for dinner. They, they're saying the, the dad isn't going to be here for a little while, so they should start. Uh, but then while they're eating, all of a sudden there's a whoosh, and he's sitting next to them. And he says, I'm, was, I'm sorry I'm late. There was an enchanted flood in Egypt I had to deal with on the way over. Uh, so they're having dinner, and he... Uh, Mark tells them that uh, he finally he's he's finally getting his superpowers, which the two of them just kind of nonchalantly, uh, you know, just accept. The mom says, "That's nice. Can you pass the potatoes?" <laughs> so then I assume it's the same night they show him outside, standing on the uh, roof overhang on the front porch, and he's getting ready to fly, and he's talking about it and he's scaring himself, but he finally grits his teeth, closes his eyes, and jumps off the roof, and he can fly. So then from there we cut to a bank robbery gone bad, uh, and the robbers are running away from, uh, from, from the bank, but at the same time, the dude that they hired to protect them is running with them. And they're like, wait, we hired you to take care of the police, not to run with us. <laughs> he, he grabs them and jumps over a fence with them, at which point they are uh, confronted by Mark, who punches that guy out. Uh, he has like kind of a concrete uh, facade on his body, uh, and each time Mark punches him, it breaks more of that off, revealing the guy underneath it. Uh, his father shows up at the end of the battle after you know he's done knocking the guy out, and and is questioning what what he's wearing and what he's doing and. You know, that he's he's getting a little ahead of himself. He takes him to uh, his tailor to get a costume picked out. And the tailor puts him in this garish-looking uh, yellow and orange number, uh, which apparently he had designed but wasn't, you know, wasn't going to use. And uh, 
uh, Mark doesn't really like it and says, you know, I, I basically I, I was looking for something, you know, a little more iconic. And then the uh, he leave they leave the tailor to work on it. Cut back to the next day at school. Uh, out by the lockers, this big brute guy is, you know, bullying a, a, a much smaller guy, and Mark tells him to to back off. The guy gets in his face. He throws the guy into the locker and and pretty much knocks him out. He ends up in the principal's office, and the principal is. Uh, you know, telling him, you know, you got to take it easy. I don't disagree with what you did protecting the guy, but, you know, you you can't be the protector of all. You're not invincible. Bum-bum. Which gives him a thought. And then we cut to a savings and loan where another robbery is going on, where a bunch of masked guys, is, basically they say, nobody moves, nobody gets hurt. We want your money, not your lives. They get what they want, and they're leaving and as they're leaving, the getaway car that they have is missing, and Invincible flies down from the sky carrying the getaway car, saying, you're looking for this? The guy pulls out his gun, and his response to that is, I wouldn't try it. I'm Invincible. And that's the last, par- last panel in this particular book. Oh, yeah. This, uh, I read this. I think I read it when it came out on somebody's recommendation, and I can't remember whose. Um, I think I read, like, the first, like, it was after it had already been established. So it must have been within its, like, first two years. So I guess not right when it came out. But I remember it being a lot more detailed than this actually is, which is surprising. Um, well, what what form did you read it in? You read it as a single issue? Yeah, I think um, – I think somebody sent me the the files way back in the day, so I, don't, I honestly don't even remember at this point. But I did read like the first, I think like the first like fifteen or twenty issues. So yeah, it was definitely within the first two years of it. Jeez, um, I don't even remember now. But I, I I recall it being more in depth than this, which is weird, and that's probably just my mind playing tricks on me. <laughs> So. It, it might it might be that you're combining more than one issue in your mind because I read this. Uh, they had like the, you know the the trades and then they had I think they called it like the ultimate edition or whatever which was like I think it was like twenty books in there, and that's I took that out of the library and and I mean these are all very very quick reading, uh, yeah. so I, I do if you if you ever want to get into this series I recommend that you pick it up in in chunks and you binge this one. Uh, okay. it's, it's far more satisfying than, than reading an issue and then waiting to read the next. Uh, but but when you read it that way, where you you know just kind of fly through it, it it's really a I think a very enjoyable read. Yeah, I mean I I definitely remembered and remembered enjoying it. Um, and and I did re and I did watch I've watched I think every episode of the show so far. Um, and I and I was like, oh, I don't remember it being this violent. But again, that could be my mind playing tricks on me because I haven't gone back to the source material in forever. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, did it, does it get more Walking Dead Kirkman like as it as it goes on? I can't remember. Well, you know? I, I'm not sure exactly where you're going with Walking Dead Kirkman like, but I think it's a it's it's a very similar reading experience in that. Each issue kind of ends with a little bit of a cliffhanger to go to the next one. Uh, it does get 
pretty violent and pretty graphic, but at the same time, it never feels as down and dirty as The Walking Dead did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, did you yeah. you you watched the uh, the Amazon Prime series? I did. I so did. I've only seen and the first issues, the first episode so far. I, I'm enjoying it, but I'm and and it's not that I'm getting old or anything, but it's like I was. I was kind of taken aback by the uh, the level of brutality in it, you know. And it, and again, it's just because I couldn't quite remember the source material, I think. And um, I was just like, ooh, this is, yeah, this is, um, yeah, this is gut punch superhero comics. Yeah, well, I mean, they do that in the beginning. I mean, it's not gratuitous, gratuitous, but I mean, on the other hand, he has a guy with a suicide bomb on him, and instead of, you know, you would think, you know, they're trying to do like a Superman riff or Superboy riff, I guess here you could say. And you would think he would get it off, but instead he just tosses the guy in the air so he can blow up harmlessly. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of lets you know, it's like, yeah, I guess he's not too worried about saving the lives of everyone. Not that I'm saying there's a problem with that, but it's like, yeah, he's not too worried about saving that guy's life. I I was a little surprised in, in the TV series with some of the voice casting, in particular, J.K. Simmons, who I like a lot. But he doesn't strike me as Omni Man. Oh, he plays the dad. Yeah, I um, I, I, actually, I, I actually enjoy his his performance on it. He, he, I think they, I think he matches the art style that they went with for the the cartoon. It but matches the mustache at least. Hell yeah! And pretty interesting that you know the the tailor that they go to is uh, voiced by Mark Hamill. Oh, is that Mark Hamill? Ah. Surprisingly, I couldn't pick him out. Good kudos if, to you, Mark. If you watched it again, now knowing it's him, it would be so obvious to you. I bet. I bet. But but just the same, this this issue, um, I found this issue to be very, like I said, very entertaining, and it made me want to read more. Uh, but again, I read it in chunks. When I read this issue, I think in the sitting, when I read this issue, I think I read like five issues before I put down the book for a little while. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a quick read. I mean, that's, it's a, that's a real fast origin story and it's not even so much an origin story. It's just really just an introduction of the characters because you don't get really any of the backstory yet in this. It's just, here's this kid who's got superpowers and his dad's a superhero. Go. We'll fill you in later. Yeah. Yeah, I I picked this up when it first came out. I think I bought like the first five or six issues. But but this this is really the bare bones of his origin because he continues to develop uh, beyond this beginning. Uh, You know, it isn't like, okay, this is it. Now you have a fully formed character. Right. Uh, who's going to be static for the next 50 years, <laughs> you know, that way. Uh, Kirkman doesn't really write that way. Kirkman writes where, you know, the, the story progresses and the character progresses and things go on. Uh, I was a little surprised in the cartoon, uh, which actually you don't see in this issue, that, spoilers, by the way, for a series that's 10 years old, uh, Omni-Man, it turns out, is... Uh, Let's just say he has a quite a violent streak in him. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. I knew about that. Yeah. And by the end of the first episode of the of the cartoon, you know that. 
Yeah, and again, that's kind of the the saga cell for getting people to to keep watching it. I mean, that's the the gut punch. You know, it's oh, you're you're kind of sucked into like oh, it's a little raunchy, you know, and it's but it's a teenager, and I, I want to I kind of like this kid, and I want to see what happens to him and see him succeed, and then oh oh at the very end, you know. Yeah, it, it so. goes very dark very quick. But which again, I threw it on, and and Mari was sitting next to me doing stuff on her phone and by about the you know 10 10 or so minutes into the episode she was kind of sucked in and then we got to the cliffhanger at the end of the first episode and she's like is there more i was like yep so it, it the cartoon did its job for sure oh well, yeah definitely. i, I can see where, where that could either totally suck you in and say i need to watch issue episode two or it could make you I think the reaction I would get if I was watching it here was, please turn that off. This is too much for me. (laughs) (laughs) Not for me personally, but I think think that's what I would be told. No, understood. I I think somebody who's, I think somebody, you know, anybody who's married to somebody whose favorite movie of all time is Annie might be looking at the same thing. Oh, I think Maureen's (laughs) favorite movie is Pulp Fiction, so. Yeah, well, uh, I'm just just throwing throwing a, a call out from the past for Al. <laughs> it's not her favorite of all time. It's her one of her favorite comic movies. Oh, difference. okay, okay, my mistake. Oh, that's right. Technically, Annie is a comic movie. Yes, it's based I, this, on comic this, this all came up when, on uh, when I did. I don't even know what it was. 150 episodes ago, when we did the uh, breakdown of everybody's favorite comic book movies. Oh boy. And, and Al's, Al Al brought. You know his his own list and his wife's list, and his wife Annie is number one on her list, and uh, and as, I, as far as I was concerned, that is every bit as valid as everybody else's list. Oh, it is it is every bit as valid, and I love redheads, but I hate Annie. Oh, I'm not a fan <laughs> of the movie personally, but that's you know that doesn't make you know my own personal tastes aren't supposed to be the deciding I, factor. I'm just stirring the pot, Paul. <laughs> I don't. I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. People like what eh. they like. She's not. She's not listening. It's okay. <laughs> no, okay, I just, then I, it sucks. <laughs> hey, I I don't have the greatest history of the movie. I was not supposed to go see that movie. They were taking me to see Iron Eagle, but it was oh, sold yeah. out. So we oh. had, they took me. So instead, it was Annie because there was you know. There was but what, you you have see. seen you have seen Iron Eagle in the interim, right? Yes. Okay, great because it's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been long time since I've seen either one of those. I own it. So now. But one of, speaking of that, by the way, one of these days I'm going to find that Annie Marvel Super Special, and I'm sending that to Scott. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then it truly will be a hard knock life for Scott. <laughs> so just just to go back to the issue because I, yeah. I you know I'm yes. I'm driving as far afield and now I'm trying to push this back. All right, all right. Uh, at the it's top, perfect. like on the top of the cover, it says "Girls Acne Homework Super Villains." When you're a teenager, it helps to be, and then it's got the trade dress, Invincible. Yeah. Uh, it tells you what it, you're in for, so. Well, you know what? It, it, but it doesn't. Because based on this cover and based on that language, you expect this to be a much more traditional superhero book. And the way it starts off, it, it kind of plays as a traditional book for the most part, uh, you know, with, with a slightly different superhero and all, but that's fine. But, but this series again like we started to talk about turns pretty dark after a few issues yeah and it's interesting because 
it almost in the beginning it doesn't feel like it's trying to appeal to that particular crowd and then it takes you know that dramatic turn well and that 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 does at least for me from what i know of it like i said i only read like the first it's weird for how big as this series was i picked up like the first five or six issues and it just for whatever reason i didn't continue on i've bought the trades on comiXology of like the first three or four and i've just this is actually but i still never got myself to read them for some reason and I don't know why, I just never read them. But from what I know of it, it you know, it kind of makes sense actually here. We're setting it up like the basic. It's like, hey, basically his dad's Superman and he's Superboy. So we're kind of setting up like the expectation. And now then once we get a few issues in, we're going to turn it on its ear a bit because it's Kirkman and he likes to, you know, he, it's putting his own stamp on it. But it's mm-hmm. we're starting off here with like the basic stuff everyone knows. It's like, hey, look, dad's basically Superman. This is basically Superboy. OK, we can get we can. You know, we didn't need to know who his dad was. We, you know, we we got enough from that, from the from, you know, the the Superman connection that we can kind of tell who his dad was supposed to be at least here. We didn't need much more information than that. Yeah. So it's the foundation part. It makes sense that that dark stuff wouldn't happen for a few issues. If they start off that right away, I don't think it would work. It would work. No, but I think if you want your audience to know where you're going, I, th- I think you know you run a double risk. You run. By by keeping it so much more vanilla in the beginning, you run the risk of pulling in the audience that's looking vanilla and then maybe alienating them when you start getting a little bit more graphic and dynamic. Uh, and you also run the risk of not pulling in the audience who's looking for something more graphic and dynamic because you're presenting it as more of a vanilla in the beginning. True. I mean, that's that's kind of the risk when you try to, you know, you run the risk of that anytime you're trying to subvert expectations or pull a big twist or swerve, you know, and it's, uh, I get yeah. it. Like, I, yeah. You know, yeah. It's you, if my philosophy is with stuff like that, if you're going to go to the bell, ring it, you know, like you just, you kind of have to, if that's what your intent is and and you can't worry about the, audience so much as what you need to do for the story and and i understand wanting to please a large crowd um but that really can't be your first concern unless your intent is to please a large crowd if you know and that's this book is clearly not designed for that it it has other goals in mind yeah and like i said though they do that a little bit i mean He's a 15-year-old kid. He's basically throwing some guy to die. I mean, think about any 15-year-old kid you knew. If they just kind of kick some guy with a suicide bomb away and went, okay, blow up. That's fine. I'm happy. <laughs> There's a little bit. Like, if you think about it, you're like, it is a little dark right away. Yeah, um, no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, it's it's a little dark. But, again, he's also a teenager, and he just got powers. It's like, is this going to be a teachable moment, or is this who this character is, you know? So... We still don't really know enough about Omni-Man and Mark yet. To, from just this issue, you wouldn't know exactly where it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I do like about the series, and it's the stupid thing about it, it has nothing to do with the story, but it amuses me, is Kirkman's love, apparently, of sitcoms. Yeah, I was going to say, you beat me to it. Oh, the, Yeah, the school, the name of the school is Original Bell Johnson High School. Which, if anyone doesn't know, is the name of the actor who played the father in Family Matters, or more, probably more famously known as Al from Die Hard. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. definitely an Al guy. <laughs> and if you look at the trades, they're all named after sitcoms. 
I mean, the first trade is yes. called Family Matters. <laughs> I just I find that funny that, that Kirkman has an affinity for for Family Matters. Uh, let's see. Then again, it was the '90s and it was Urkel was everywhere. The second trade is called Perfect Strangers. Well, maybe that's named after the Deep Purple album. We don't know. Uh, yeah, you could wonder that, but once you get to, uh, let's see. Yeah, I'm pretty confident it is not. <laughs> but from what I understand, most of the trades are all named after some kind of sitcom. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah, it, it's a full trade to volume 10. Who's the boss? Well, that's just a great show. Yeah. So that amuses me about it. That's one thing I always liked about the series. That always amused me. I, I'm definitely going to have to go back and, and pick this up again, especially since I've, I've been enjoying the, the adaptation of it. Maybe I'll um, go back and read, uh, you know, the first 20 issues or so, so I uh, can see how well the adaptation does. Yeah, I might have to re- finally read those trades I have. It's just, you know, there's only so much time in so many comics. <laughs> there was time now. So uh, many comics, so little time. Isn't that the, always the the case? Mm-hmm. Mm. But yeah. Well, who do you who do you want us to start off with the with the, our grades here, Paul? Uh, Probably a, my turn. Yeah, I think Alan didn't go first. Go yet, Al. So. Yeah, I went last in the first. I mean, second and last, so I'll go first. All right. So the cover. Let me get back to the cover. You know, the cover works. It's simple, but it, it, it hey, it has the main character right on the right there in front. Um, the only downside is he should be for a first issue. He should be more facing front instead of sideways to give us a good view of who this of who he is and what he looks like. Because you don't really get that to the last page. I mean, in story, inside the story, I get that, but for the cover. He should be more facing forward just to give us an idea of, you know, what we're looking, what we're going to be reading. But otherwise, it's a simple shot of him against the wall, like Paul said. That's good for a first issue. So with that little minor criticism, I'm going to give it a A- minus for the cover. The interior art, I mean, it tells a story. Uh, there's some, the artist style is not my favorite. So there's some things I have a little bit, you know, a little bit of weirdness with. But it's decent, you know, it's good enough. It's a decent enough art, and I'm assuming if I got through reading the series, I probably would grow, hopefully grow to like it more. So I'm going to give the art a B. Story, the story is, I mean, it's a pretty simple story. It touches the beats, like I said. It does kind of give you enough of, like, hey, we're starting with the Superman archetype, which works as long as you have an idea of the Superman archetype. Luckily, most people who would be reading comics would at least have an idea of Superman. Um, do I want to see what happened next? I mean, it does. It, one downside of this, it's kind of it's such a done in one. You almost, I mean, you could go on, but you also could also end it right here. You know, it could be just a one shot, and will work either way. So. You know, so like, do you really, you know, you if you don't want to read more, you could still have your full story right here, basically. Um, yeah. You know, if you're done with it, you're like, ah, that's good enough. I read it. I'm done. You're not losing, you know, you have everything you need right there in one shot. Um, but that's kind of impressive. You'll do both. So I'm going to give it an A minus. 
So overall, I guess I'm giving the book what a B plus A minus, one of the two. Because for some reason I'm just not. Yeah, I kind of want to go to B plus instead of A minus because for some reason I'm just kind of not dragged into reading it. I don't know why. All right. Okay. Uh, the cover. Um, I love the, the 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 trade dress lettering for Invincible. It's nice, big, bold, in your face. It even has a corner box, um, which I, I love corner box art, even though it's not really in a box. Um, and um, it's it's the first issue. It's showing you the character. It is kind of a plain cover, but it's saying, here's this character named Invincible. Here's what his costume looks like. Here he is in an action pose. Um, and I do like Invincible's costume because it is not over-designed. Um, it has a very 60s feel to it, which I, I love. Um, and, you know, it has a little couple of cut-ins on the boots and stuff, but it's like, it's, it is very much a, a very classic. It's an iconic costume. Um, I think they nailed that. Uh, the interior art, um, I am not... I'm not a fan of this style art. And if you look at the first page, especially, you have the very thin uh, ink work on most of that, except for the big Kirby fist, which feels totally incongruous to me. Um, the inks around the, the fist in the foreground are so much heavier than the rest of it. And I, it, it throws off my eye. Um, the backgrounds are a little bland. And again, this was, kind of a problem not a problem but a stylistic choice with a lot of books from this time um and it's i I don't know the the characters are kind of ugly but not in the kirby way or the um you know uh uh oh spider-man um god damn ditko ditko yes geez wow i'm getting old uh you know it's just it's it's kind of bland um you know, and it's the kind of washed out colors. You know, it's a superhero book. I know it's trying to subvert knowing what we know about the story, but it's it's kind of blah. Um, it's, you know, and then you get that run of the, the pages with the, you know, dinner. And it's, oh, all right, let's photostat the same image like a bunch of times and change one tiny little thing on it. I, and I mean, it's I get that it's just a dinner. But it's it's kind of boring. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not really a fan of of this style of art. Um, and if that works for you, that's fine. For me, it's eh, not my cup of tea. Uh, the story uh, the story uh, gets a, a solid B. Um, if I was if I was buying books off the rack at this time, and I think I was I think I was given this by somebody or told to read it by somebody. Um, and I sought it out. Be like, yeah, um, I want to see what happens with this kid because I I like him. He's a little rough and tumble, but he's a kid. And I like when there's teenage superheroes in the Spider-Man vein that have real-life problems and superhero problems. And we haven't really quite gotten the superhero problems yet, uh, other than the fact that he's been waiting for his powers. Now, what is he going to do with them? Because at this point, he's still kind of a blank slate. Is this father going to take him under his wing? Is he going to be 
a really violent character. Is it going to spill into the stuff that's in high school? I don't know, but I want to find out. And anytime you get a character that's got superpowers, he does the opposite of Peter Parker. Like he straight up goes right up to this bully and just shoves him into a locker. So that's already another subversion of the teen superhero archetype where it's, oh no, I got to make sure that nobody even has a clue that I have powers while I'm at school because it's going to blow up my whole spot. And Mark is just like, nah, man, this guy's an ass. I'm going to shut him down right now. So that's the kind of stuff that would get me sucked in, you know? And it's like, and you can, yeah, I know the, the principal says he's a good kid. The, the mom clearly has affection for him. He loves his mom. Um, you know, so it's, yeah, I'm, I'm pulled in. I want to read it. It's uh you know, that's, that's like solid B plus storytelling there, you know, and, and it chugs along. So yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I'd, I'd say it's a, it's a solid B. Yes, please, I will continue to read this. Okay. Uh, I feel like the cover is, it's pretty much what I want from a first issue. Uh, I don't know if the khaki green background is what I want. It does make the yellow pop more, but I think it just kind of makes the book itself blend a little. Uh, I, I do like the image, though. I think it, it kind of, you know, it creates, you know, it, 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 I think I think it sets it off as what it is. It's a first issue of this new character that you're going to be introduced to, and if you want to give it a shot, go ahead. So I think the cover, I would give a B+, plus because it would make me want to pick it up and check it out. The interior art I think, Al, I think you hit it on the head when you said it's not your style, but you think if you read more of them, it might grow on you a little because it is not my style. But as I read this series and went on with it, I became very comfortable with it. It still is not my style, but I had no problem. You know, it never bothered me to speak of. Uh, I think the storytelling is very good on it. I think, you know, it's the images that just aren't to the style that I would want so much. But I think overall it really gets the job done. So I'm going to say a B on the artwork. Uh, the story, my biggest complaint is that it's very decompressed. And uh, you not it's. You, I think that's actually the wrong terminology. Because it's not decompressed because there is a lot of story in here. There's a lot that goes on. They're introducing you to a whole new universe. You, you, you meet Invincible. You see him get his powers. You meet his family. You meet his father who's Omni-Man who's... You know, there's this great hero. So there's a lot that's put in there, but it's just an incredibly quick read. This whole book, you know, five minutes and it's done. Uh, So I definitely would recommend that anybody who wants to pursue this series based on either listening to this show or having heard that it's a good series, or if you're watching the cartoon and you were interested in it, I definitely recommend that you pick up. You know, I I don't even know that I'd go with the graph, you know, the trades, because I think those have six or seven issues each. I I would say I would recommend that you go with that, you know, that super omnibus one that's going to have 25 issues in it, because that's going to you're going to find that more meaty and more satisfying. But all that said, I do find it. I did find it to be very entertaining and it made me want to keep reading more. Uh, So I'm going to say a a, I'm going to say an A minus on the story. And overall, I'll give the book a B plus. Yeah. Solid. Uh, yeah. So, so that is it for this episode. Thanks for coming on, guys. 
Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always Anybody fun. Anybody want to uh, pimp anything before we walk away? Uh, well, obviously, go check out that Sleepwalker fan film. Um, if you search for it on YouTube, uh, you will find it. Um, so it's it's definitely out there. Take, take a look. See if you can find my bald, smiling face. Uh, in the background at some point, um, you know, just for just for funsies. But uh, no, gets uh, you know, take it in, enjoy it. It's a it's a really nice production. Um, and you know, um, I'm on the same place as I always am. I'm on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror once or twice a month with uh, Luke, Jay, and Chris. And uh, you know, you know me. I'm always popping up from time to time. You know, is it Jaws? Anywhere? Everywhere? Nowhere? And um, I'm doing some audio drama work with Thomas DJ and Chris Honeywell and the whole group over at the Akadekaganagon Theater Works. So uh, we got some fun stuff coming down the pike. So check that out. 8TW. If you search for 8TW, you will find it. All right. And real quick, by the way, searching on YouTube, just to let everyone know, look for Marvel Sleepwalker. Uh, yes. Sleepwalker, you get, a lot, you get a lot of clips from the movie Sleepwalker. Based on Stephen King's story. Yeah, don't watch that. If you find the Megadeth song, listen to that. It's a great song. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Marvel's Sleepwalker. Marvel's Sleepwalker has episode one, Somnambulist. Is that what we're that, looking for? That yep. is it. Okay, and that is a like a half an hour long, so it's very watchable. Yep. Yeah. So, and otherwise, besides that, for me, if you want to hear more of me, uh, my own show, Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. It's all about Adam, Marvel characters, Adam Warlock, and Thanos. I mean, I don't know what else you're thinking it was going to be about. It's right there in the title. Uh, <laughs> just uh, type in Adam Warlock or Thanos, whatever podcatcher you use, it'll pop up. And you can also hear me every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast. Uh, you can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. And we're talking about the late 80s, early 90s DC sci-fi series, L-E-G-I-O-N. Boom. There you go. Oh. All right. Once again, guys, thanks for coming on. Thank you for everybody who's listened, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week. All right. Ooh. So, Al, quick question for you. Sure. If you were going to cast Adam Warlock, who would you cast? Oh, God. I've... I know people are floating Keanu out there. That is the absolute wrong choice. I love Keanu Reeves, but he needs to be Namor whenever they get to that. Um, oh, so, I never thought like that, but that could work. Come on, man. He could. Pl- he's, like, perfect. He's, like, the right age. You know, keep the beard on him. Why not? Or at least start with the beard. Put the little little wingies on his feet. And he could play either one. He could play suit and tie Namor, or he could play I'm the undersea ruler and I will destroy everything. 
Actually, as you say, I didn't have thought about that before, but now you say that, I'm picturing what I've seen, like, images of him with the beard. He actually does kind of look like the Namor from, like, Fanta- you know, that kind of beard from Fantastic Four 4. Yeah, the fake beard. Ah, oh, yes, welcome to my fake movie studio, Fantastic Four. No, he means the the uh, amnesiac. Oh, so yes, the amnesiac. Yes, nope. yes, yes, yes. No, the one living no, in the Bowery, the... the homeless one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, homeless. That works, too. And amnesiac. Anyway, right. uh, who, who's, yeah, who do you War- have in mind for uh, Adam Warlock? Because I'm going to have to run. Uh, I don't actually have anyone yet. I haven't thought about it. I'm not good at that kind of thing, so I just never bothered to think right. about it. <laughs> Sorry. He's got to be pretty. So pretty. They should. If it was the 70s, I would say cast the guy who played Rocky in Rocky Horror. Oh, yeah. Tim Curry? No, yeah. no. Rocky Horror. Oh. No, Rock, that was the, Tim the Curry. Creation. Was, Tim Curry was the doctor. Doctor Frankenfurter. Uh, Rocky Horror. Maybe you get blonde. a maybe you get a young Ric Flair. Woo! Well, the guy, look at that first few issues of him as him, and look at Rocky from Rocky Horror. There's that's, no way that they weren't someone wasn't influenced a bit by that. That's a good point. Rocky is based on him basically. It's just yellow trunks instead of red. All right. 20, I'm going to run, guys. I, I want to keep right, talking, but go. i got to run. So years you guys ago, can keep Brad talking Pitt. as much as you want. <laughs> no, i gotta, I got I got a big day of work tomorrow, so i got to get going myself. I heard dogs barking. i got to go deal with that. All right. <laughs> Have a good night, guys. Good night, guys. All right. Good talking to you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.